0: Amen. You are God's masterpiece. And one of my favorite lines that they said in this video um, was that God loves you how you are, but he loves you too much to keep you that way. Because that's what love does. Love wants the beloved to be perfect, to get to heaven. When I was in high school, I was really afraid to tell people I was Catholic. Um, I was afraid because I didn't know my faith. I was afraid that people would make fun of me. I really cared a lot of what people thought. Because I thought, okay, as long as, if I'm popular, if I'm successful, if I have a boyfriend, if I get good grades, then I'll be happy, right? I thought that was like the fullness of life. If I was happy and things were just easy, and no one made fun of me, you know, and I was like, so in high school, I was like, you know what, I'm just not gonna tell people I'm Catholic. They'll think I'm a good kid, but I just don't wanna tell anyone because I know I'll get, you know, made fun of. And so I did that through high school. My senior year of high school, um, and I'm from Orange County, I mean, I was, I was a little brat. I was totally a little brat, and especially, I have two older sisters, and you know, the youngest are always seen as like the brats who get everything, right? Because our older siblings are like, oh, you did this when you were, the, you know? But I really was a brat. And um, I wasn't too thankful. Um, You know, I went to youth group since ninth grade. But basically, I would go to youth group on Sundays. And then during the middle of the week, I would kind of, I would not not forget about God, but I would push God to the side. You know, God, you have no place in my relationships. Just let me do whatever I want. God, I don't want you to really be in my family life, because my family life is kind of a mess. God, I don't want you to be in everything. Just kind of, I'll see you on Sundays, and then... You know, during the week, I'll just kind of forget about you, and people won't know that I like you, you know. And what happened was, you know, my senior year of high school, um, I, I had a lot of achievements, right? I thought, if, I, if I'm all this stuff, like, I'll be happy. So my senior year of high school, I was varsity volleyball captain. Um, I was in the drama club board. I was the French club president. I was a school newspaper editor. Um, I was president of the entire school, and I was valedictorian. And I got a full-ride scholarship to college on academics. And, and I had a boyfriend who I'd known since kindergarten. And you know what? There still was something missing. And basically, I didn't, know, I didn't know what it was. And I was even dating this guy who was not Catholic. He was Protestant. And I would start going to Bible studies with him. And I thought, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll be, you know, Protestant. Like, maybe I won't be Catholic anymore. Because for me, the Catholic church was, I'd started to feel God and, and some retreats, but this is what would happen. I would go on a retreat, get all excited, and I would come back home and nothing had changed. So I went back to the former ways of life. And then I would go on another retreat and I'd get so excited, like I'm on fire for Jesus. And then I'd come home and, you know, my, my boyfriend and I would do things or whatever. My family was still the same. And then I'd go on another retreat and it would go like this and this and this. And Nothing stuck. Nothing stuck. But what happened was, after my senior year of high school, um, I was presented to be on a Steubenville retreat as a young apostle. And we were there a week before all the other couple thousand high school students came. And I remember thinking, and I even said, I I don't think I said this to my boyfriend at the time, but I remember thinking, you know what? I have a feeling I'm going to come away from this experience this week not being Catholic or being like super Jesus freak Catholic. And I really thought to myself, like, I may not be Catholic after that week. And and what happened was I went to this week, and there were like 30 of us high school teens. And it was from basically like juniors to um, seniors who had just graduated. And I remember feeling so weird because everyone who was there knew their faith really well. And I was kind of like the outsider, like, I don't know what they're talking about. Like, I've I've never heard of the Divine Mercy Novena. I've never heard of who Padre... They're like, oh, my gosh, did you hear Padre Peters got canonized? I'm like, who? You know, like, I had no idea who Padre Pio was. And I didn't know what that was. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's a person. And I remember feeling really weird. They were talking... The leaders, some of the leaders, like, one of our girls' session leaders was saying how she and her husband, her her fiancé, and soon-to-be husband, they were going to be doing NFP. And I was like, what's NFP? Right? I'm like, I really didn't know what that was. And all the girls were like, oh, that's so great. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh yeah, I I know what that is. You know, I had no idea. And it stood for natural family planning because they weren't going to use contraception in their marriage. They're Catholic and they went to Franciscan and, you know, you know they're like, we're going to follow Christ's teaching. So I was super uncomfortable. And you know, what's amazing is when you are uncomfortable in your faith, that's the best time for God to come in and change your life and change your heart. So I was uncomfortable this pretty week because I felt like, I'm like, I don't know anything about my faith. I only go to mass on Sundays, because my mom makes us, and I know some prayers, and that's about it. And then what happened was I met two young guys. And most of the guys I had met in high school were, you know, the guys had to cuss to be cool. They had to say how many girls they had or how drunk they got on the weekend, I was like, ugh, right? But these two young men were so attractive. And everybody thought they were joyful and attractive and, and fun. And it was like every guy wanted to be like them, and every girl was like, I want to date you, you know? And so I was so attracted to their faith. They were fun. And, you know, they didn't have to get drunk on weekends. And I think most times they, 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 never, they didn't go to parties because they were like, yeah, that's lame, like people are getting drunk and doing stuff. But they had so much joy. And I saw that faith, and I was like, I want to be like you. Like, they were in love with the church and they knew stuff. I was like, dude, how old are you? Like, 25? And they were so confident in themselves. Most guys I had met didn't even know themselves. And they had to always talk dirty in the locker rooms or say gross stuff. And I'm like, ugh. But these two guys, they were not boys, they were men. I think, I, I like think about it, I'm like, wow, it's pretty rare to meet a 17 year old who is that mature. And you know why? It's because they knew themselves. They weren't boys. They were men. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is! I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of joy in my life. Because in my family, I felt like kind of an outsider. And I felt like I was the only one in my family who was a virgin. I was the only one in my family who, you know, went to youth group and maybe thought God was okay. And I felt ostracized. But that week changed my life. You know what? I didn't have to reach the depths. Like some people in their conversion story, they have to be like the addict who, um, you know, they need help and they need therapy. And I have a friend who was like, he was a dad, he was a porn addict, and he needed to have counseling for two years. You know, some people have those conversion stories. My conversion story was I was a big brat, and I thought I was perfect, and I thought I didn't need God, and I kind of thought I'm without sin. And you know what's amazing? I do ministry with a lot of rich kids. Rich kids are a lot harder to have conversions than poor kids. You know why? Because poor kids who don't have a whole lot, they realize that they don't have it. And they realize that God is all they need. Rich kids, they get anything they want. And rich kids are like, oh, my daddy can give me whatever I want. I don't need anything. There was one week at a summer camp I went to. There were the poorest of the poor kids from East L.A., and then there was a group from the Woodlands, Texas. Woodlands, Texas is like the Beverly Hills of Texas. And these two groups, it was so easy to see that the group from East L.A., who'd seen drive-by shootings, who'd seen friends in gangs, they'd seen a lot of hardship. They knew they needed God because they didn't have a lot, and they were, they were spiritually poor, and they, they were humble and said, God, my life's messed up, and I see a lot of crazy things. God, I need you. I know that we're sinners. The kids from the Woodlands, Texas, the Beverly Hills, right, of Texas, these kids were, some of them were stuck up. Some of these kids were like, I don't need Jesus. And you know what? For me from you know, Orange County, California, I thought I knew everything. Actually, probably by eighth grade, I thought I knew everything. And I was like, come on, I know everything. And you know what's amazing? When I fell in love with God, I fell in love with the Eucharist. I fell in love with God at this conference, and we had adoration, and I fell in love, and I was like, God, you know what? I wept on that floor. And I said, God, I'm not perfect. God, I need you. I, I thought of my life and I said, God, my relationship with my dad is messed up. My dad never even says I love you. My dad never tells me I'm beautiful. My sisters had, didn't have a great relationship with him either. And so they turned to guys to tell them they were beautiful. And my relationship with my mom was not good either. And I was just weeping for my family. I just felt like, man, I wish I had a family that liked each other but we don't. I wish we had a family that likes spending time with each other and we don't. And then I thought of my you know, extensive family and I thought, man, it sucks that in my extended family I have a rapist, there's abuse, adultery, there's divorce, there's pornography, there's abortion. I'm like, man, my family is messed up. God, I don't want this anymore. God, I don't want this for my family. I don't want the divorce for my family. I don't want adultery and pornography for my family or my kids. I don't want this. And guess what? It keeps happening over and over and over because that's how sin works. If you are are you if you're sinful and then you have kids, guess what? You're passing it on to them. You're passing on your adultery, your divorce until somebody steps up and says, "I don't want this anymore." I don't want this. And so when I said yes to Jesus, I said, "God, I want I'm giving everything to you. I give you everything. I give you my relationships. I give you my family. I give you myself because I know I am prideful. I know I'm so selfish. I'm stuck up. God, chisel away the things that are not of you and that don't glorify you. Chisel those away because I don't want those anymore. And sure enough, it's been 12 years since my conversion. And I have seen how much God has chiseled away at me. Now, again, I'm not even close to being a saint, and I look at the saints' lives. I look at the saints' who get murdered for their faith. I look at these saints who do crazy, amazing things, and I look at myself and I'm like, I'm not even close to being like those saints. Not even close. I could compare myself to the people next to me and be like, oh, I'm doing much better than her. Oh, because she doesn't go to Mass every day. Oh, I'm doing much better than him, right? I could be comparing myself to the people around me. Yeah, oh, you go to daily Mass, awesome. But you know what? Great. I'm not going to compare myself to these people. I need to compare myself to the saints. Because they're the ones in heaven right now. And when I look at my life, I'm like, man, I'm not even close to being there yet. But you know what? In 12 years, I've seen what God has done in my life. And all it took was for me to say, Lord, I need you. Because guess what? Guess what, you guys? You don't need a savior if you yourself are perfect, right? And guess what in here? No one's perfect. No one has escaped sin. You guys, we all need a savior because we're all not perfect. And I hope, obviously, I hope I get a lot longer to live cuz maybe maybe I'll be a saint one day. And so I hope, you know, I hope God keeps chiseling away at my pride. I hope God keeps chiseling away at my being judgmental or being angry or impatient. I hope God keeps chiseling away like he did when I was in high school and college, God kept chiseling away my lust. And through theology of the body especially, I learned that Everybody is my brother, my sister in Christ. And I learned how to love and stop lusting. And maybe when I did lust in college and, and in the last few years, God showed me it. And I wasn't ignorant. I wasn't like, oh, that's, come on, that's not lust. God would be like, yeah, it is. And I'd go to confession. and be like, okay, God, chisel it away. Chisel it away. I never murdered anybody. I never committed adultery. But I was a spoiled brat. And I thought I was perfect and didn't need anybody. I thought, oh, if I'm popular, successful, if I'm a, you know, an actress, whatever, that'll be awesome. But you know what, God used me. Since I was 18, God used me. What's funny, this is what's funny. When I was five years old, I was on stage. My first time ever being on stage. And I had been in a ton of plays since then, right? And I wanted to be an actress. And this is how funny God is. God was like, you wanna be an actress? You wanna go to LA? And you wanna do all that stuff? Right? You want to go and maybe somebody, some director will say, hey, Jackie, you need to do this scene. And I'll be like, I don't know if I should do that you know, scene. And I really thought, I was like, you know what? God, I don't want to be an actress anymore because I know I would have to do things that would compromise who I am. And so you know what God did? <laughs> this is funny. I, I wanted to be on stage in front of tons of people or be on TV or movies all for myself. And God was like, huh, nope, I'm going to put you on stage to glorify me. And so, like, two years ago, for the first time, I was on stage in front of 25,000 high school teens. And God has taken me, in the last seven years, God has taken me to, like, 16 countries to proclaim the gospel. And 42 states. And I thought it was going to be all about me. And God has used me for his glory. And I know every single one of us was made to be used for God's glory. And made to be, in his image, and his likeness, created and we can either say, yes, God, I want to give you everything, or we can say, no, God. No, I don't want to be totally yours. I want it all for me. So if you ask God to chisel away all those things, if you go to confession tonight and ask God to, be chiseled, to chisel away anything that is not of him, get ready. Get ready for God to take you on an adventure. Get ready to feel what it feels like to be free of sin and to be made a new creation and for God to change your life.
1: The the video we watched reminds me, C. S. Lewis told the story of something similar, and it's it's kind of like he uses the image of a lizard on your shoulder. And this lizard is whatever that sin is that maybe you're holding on to that no one else knows about. And yet it's hard to think about letting it go if I say this in confession, or I really try to break this habit, if I really try to give this, to, I won't, it's like, it's been a part of me for so long, be it lust, be it anger, be it abuse, be it a divorce, be it something that is, is weighing me down, and yet at the same time, I can't, when I think about giving it away, it's like, it's like no, 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 I, it's mine, it's mine. And C.S. Lewis says, until you hand that over, allow God to kill it, you won't be free. And for many years, I felt like I had this stupid lizard on my shoulder, and it took me a while to be free of it. Jackie's proclaimed, and I'm quite thankful, that she was a virgin when we were married. 29 years old, hadn't spontaneously combusted yet, was a virgin. I was not. The room always gets kind of awkward quiet when I say that, so you can, yeah, yeah thank you for laughing. And even, the, even like the, the saying losing my virginity is kind of a funny thing. It's not like I lost my car keys or I lost the garage door opener. Where'd it go? I don't know. I know where my virginity went, like, and yet we use the language lost because there's been a loss. There's been a profound, something that was once there that is gone. Um, again, I was cradle Catholic, really came awake in my faith late in high school because of a dynamic youth ministry program, because of a retreat very much like this, where I was surrounded by teens who had shared the faith and all of a sudden realizing God is real. That God is real. It really handed my life over at that point and went off to college and got involved in the campus ministries and other activities. At the same time, though, as it came up in the guy session sometimes when it comes to chastity, it's, well, how far is too far? And that's how I'm looking at the situation, how far is too far? And so, late in college, I find myself in this relationship I really shouldn't have been in, and yet, I didn't have a good support network at the time, and yet, um, I just really was, I had really held in my faith for the first three years of college. But once like, this uh, network of upperclassmen left me, and I really wasn't, I, I just kind of let the college like, voice get in my head. You know, you haven't really partied. You haven't really lived the college thing. And I allowed myself to really start hearing and, and believing these lies that I wasn't living a college thing if I wasn't going out and, and, and drinking too much or getting these relationships. And with, sure enough, with one girl approaching the situation as if, okay, there's a line, I won't cross it. Well, the line gets pushed, and then the line gets pushed, and then one night, myself, the good youth group kid that said, I'm gonna wait till marriage, lost his virginity. And it sucked. Yeah, really, it did. It was like, again, this vision I had of myself as like the nice guy, and, and I was gonna wait till marriage, and I didn't. And even when I went back to my, my room and my roommate was there and he could tell something was different and not in a good way, that I had changed, that I had lost something. And this really kind of, be, this really became the lizard on my shoulder that wouldn't, I was ashamed of it and I, really, I knew I'd let myself down, I'd let this girl down and um, at that time didn't know what, my, what was in store for my future. Um, Needless to say, the relationship didn't last, thankfully, I had enough good friends come forward and tell me, "Listen, you're not you. You haven't been you since you started dating this person, and you need to get out of it." And so you know, the relationship ended, and yet the scars persisted, and really kind of allowed this lizard on my shoulder and to believe this lie, that I was no longer a good man, that I was no longer a good person because of what I had done. And I never understood when guys would brag about how many girls they'd been with or lost Virginia. I'm like, how do you brag about this? This isn't a good thing. Like, I just feel this awful ache, this like pit in my soul now. Who's to brag about this? The funny thing was, and, and this, this is where my story could have gone very differently. We have a priest friend of ours who likes to, to, to frame a lot of movies in, in the sense of it, will this be a triumph? or a tragedy? If the movie were to end halfway through, would it be a triumph or tragedy? So think about the movie Frozen, and you think about this epic number that she's singing in this ice castle, and if the movie were to stop right there, would it be a triumph or a tragedy? It seems like a triumph, because she's all like, got her hair all crazy, and she's in the balcony, and it's like the song in the movie, and yet you realize, no, it would be a tragedy because her sister would end up with a guy who really didn't love her. Spoiler alert. And she would be barricaded in this ice castle all alone for all eternity. This would not be a good story. And if my story ended right there where it did, it would be a tragedy. God was doing something else in my life during college and that was, for the first time in my life, seriously considering the priesthood. Grew up altar serving was told here and there you should be considered the priesthood, and like, no, no, wrong guy, I like girls, way too much. <laughs> and yet in college, as I got more involved in campus ministry and retreats and serving and was, had a lot of great priests in my life, I was like, maybe? Maybe? And I found in my prayer, God kept putting that on my heart, follow me, follow me. And I couldn't kind of control this attraction to the priesthood, like, and... and paradoxically, I'm trying to date at the same time, which was really confusing, because I'm like, God, I don't want this, like, stay over here, I want to go date and be normal and have 12 babies and do all this. And, like, God kept putting it in my heart, and it kept ruining every relationship, because I'd be like, I'm kind of thinking about the priesthood, and the girls were like, oh, that's nice, I'm going to go over here. And you're like, okay, well. And so, even through this relationship and afterwards, I found that the priesthood kept, like, busting through my heart. I'm like, coming through, like, this is priesthood, <laughs> breaking through. I did it, all right, for all you 300 fans. And I, f- I finally, after college and being in the world for a few years, realized I'm going to be an old man and wonder what if, if I don't check this out. And so, finally, had the courage to be, like, you know what, I'm going to go to seminary. God, you're getting all of me. Now, the seminary, not the cemetery, the seminary is where... <laughs> Uh, young men go to be formed for the priesthood, and it's not like the doors close behind you and you take a blood oath as soon as you walk in, and all you eat is the body of Christ for seven years straight. <laughs> Every seminary is different, who knows? But it's, it's, you're surrounded by other guys asking the same questions, and same thing with formation houses for sisters. You're surrounded by your peers who are asking the same questions, is God calling me to this life? and you're there to discern, you're there to go deeper. I spent three years in formation, seriously handing God over my life and what I thought I wanted, the job I thought I wanted, the 12 babies I figured I was gonna have, say, God, you know what's gonna make me happy. You know these attachments that I'm holding on to, heal them, and I start to feel God's chisel. Another year, even more of that chisel. And finally, the third year. And I remember distinctively, it took a while, but had a great priest in spiritual direction and could tell I was holding on to something. I was really hanging on to something in the past. And I told him how I lost my virginity to this girl. And he leaned forward and he's like, you know, God loves you, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. I've heard that since seventh grade. I know that. And he's, he's like, no, no you know God loves you, right? And I just started crying. <laughs> it's like, it was like Goodwill Hunting where he's like, not you man, not you. And finally he breaks down and it was like all this time this thing, this, this lie that I was not a good person, that God, you know, kind of liked me, would tolerate me, but I had done too many horrible, yeah, I just, I had messed up too much to allow myself to be loved at that point. Sure enough, within the formation I discern really like, I think God's calling me to marriage. I feel like he's called me in the seminary for a reason, maybe to put me back together, maybe to kick my butt in a number of ways. I was really starting to feel, God, you're calling me to marriage. And so I prayed for a sign, I said, God, I'm kinda dumb, you need to give me a, make it loud, make it blonde, make it, do whatever you gotta do. Ta-da. <laughs> and, you know, re-meet Jackie at this Theology of the Body retreat in Pennsylvania, and the first time we met, I was in seminary, so I was kind of off limits, and I was crushing on her, but I wasn't going to tell anyone, just going to let it die, cold death in my heart. Um, And the second time we we re-met, it was just very obvious this was my wife, like, this is the woman who would be my wife. I was, um, and so I, call, I called my bishop soon after that, and I said, Bishop, I, I met the woman who's going to be my wife. He's, he starts laughing over the phone. He's like, oh, Bob, we always knew you were a long shot anyway. <laughs> so, thanks, Bishop. He's like, yeah, we had, we had a few bets on if you'd make it to ordination or not. I'm like, wow, thanks. thanks we have a great relationship. So he's actually the one that married Jackie and I, and it was like just our wedding was so soaked in theology of the body. The teaching, the readings, everything like this, this whole vision, this whole vision from John Paul II that goes all the way back to Jesus Christ himself is what brought us together. And That's why we love sharing it. While we were engaged leading up to the wedding, Jackie knew of my past, she knew I had lost my virginity, but I felt like I really needed to apologize to her. Like, I felt like she knew it, but just before we got married, like she had to hear from me, I'm sorry. Like, you waited. I didn't. And so we went for a walk around the neighborhood and we just kind of laid it out there. And you know, there's tears and we're crying and just like really opening like the rib cage in your heart and just being like. And she looked at me and she said, I don't want the Bobby of 2006. I don't want the Bobby of 2010. I want the Bobby of today. You've been to confession. You've been made a new creation, so live like it. Drop the mic. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're crying and everything. And it was so, like, from the woman that would be my bride to hear that. And I knew, like, I had been to confession and had lifted off, and yet, some you know, the memories sometimes still stick, and that takes a while to heal. And yet it was really like God using my, my soon-to-be wife in that moment to say, you are loved, you are loved. And no matter what you do in this life, you can never get so far from my love, you can't come back. And that I am always offering you this grace of the sacrament to come back to me, to come home to me, because you are loved.
0: Um, Sometimes we don't know what real love is, and you guys, we just shared our story, we don't know your story. And some of you guys are really good at hiding your stories. And no one could ever tell that maybe you were abused by your dad. Or that you had an abortion. Or that you had sex before marriage. Because you hide it. And just by looking at you, we wouldn't be able to tell. But you know who knows you inside and out is God. He knows everything about you, even if you've tried to hide it from other people. Maybe you go to school and people don't know that you struggle with an eating disorder or cutting or pornography. Maybe you struggle with cheating you know, I don't know, maybe you struggle with gossip, and you, or you hate your parents, or you hate yourself. Maybe you are depressed, but nobody knows because you try to hide it so well. You guys, I don't know your story, and I think that sometimes we really don't know how God loves us, and we don't know maybe what real love is, and so we don't want to be open or intimate with anybody because we we're afraid. And tonight... I invite you, as we have Jesus here on this altar, I invite you, because he knows already, but he wants you to give it to him. I want you to take all the stuff in your life, maybe stuff you're ashamed of, maybe the stuff you hide, maybe the stuff you're ashamed of because someone did it to you, or you did it. Tonight, I want you truly, you and God, it's not anybody else, so if you are distracted by someone who's sitting next to you, move but I want you to experience God's love. And I want you just to lay down and say, God, I give you all this crap. God, heal my heart. You know why? Because true love heals. True, authentic love is beautiful. And it's sacrificial. And God laid his life down for us. I love the saying that it says, God would rather die for you than spend eternity without you. He would rather die for you than spend eternity without you. Tonight, go to confession. Go to the priest and just lay it out. Say, this is, I want to be new. Chisel it away. The priest is like, kind of like, I have, we had one priest say it. Priest is like a garbage man. You, you lay out your garbage and the priest who is in Persona Christi, the priest takes all the garbage and it's gone. He's the garbage man. I just want to, as we um, close, I want to show you a video. I think, it's hard for me. I've seen this video like 30 times and it's, Hard for me to watch without crying. Why? Because even in this life, we have signs of what it looks like to love like Christ. So, wait, as we show this video, I want you to know that Christ loves you like this.
2: All right, guys, we, uh, just as that young man sang, I'm falling, to, I'm falling into pieces, or how'd that song go? I'm falling into pieces. Um, we're going to have an opportunity to go to confession um, in just a few minutes here, and remembering that sometimes we may feel like we're in a bunch of pieces, but through confession and through reconciliation with God, we regain that true peace that God wants us to be, and that is our true selves. Has anybody here ever broken a bone? Just raise your hand if you've ever broken a bone, Okay. Was the pain something good? No, the pain was bad. But you know what? If you didn't feel that pain, how would you know that your bone was broken? Exactly. And so sometimes in our life as well, sometimes we may feel a little bit of guilt or shame in our life for some of the things that we've done. Well, that guilt is actually something good because it tells us that there's something in our life that needs to be fixed. And it can be fixed by Jesus Christ through His healing power. So we're going to have that opportunity right now to go to confession and to fix our lives. And I would encourage each one of you, if you haven't done so already on this retreat, to take advantage of this, of this moment. We have seven priests here that have just arrived to, uh, to hear your confessions. And uh, one is Father Sergio from St. Martin of Tours, uh, Father Oliveira from St. Clairs, uh, Father John Ponsini from uh, St. <laughs> Nicholas, Bishop Daly is here as well, um, Father Joe, uh, and, uh, uh, who am I missing? Father Tim. Father Timothy Lyon. Sorry, my compatriot. And, uh, and I think that's it. So, um, so, um, just remember, just remember that when you, uh, when you go to confession, obviously the priest himself, he can't share anything that you have shared in that confessional. It's, it's, there's a sacred seal in the sacrament of confession that nothing can be shared. So just feel free to pour yourself out to Christ. Right, there's tissues in there as well, and um, and just remember this is a great healing moment for each one of you. Okay, so please take advantage of this opportunity.
3: So as we prepare uh, for the sacrament of reconciliation, we'll just go through some logistics for you. Tonight, we're going to enter into a time of sacred prayer. And you've been sitting for about 45 minutes, and we'll give you time to stand up and worship. But, um, you know, at Mass, the Mass is timeless. Did you know that? Right? The Mass is timeless. But so many times we're looking at our watch, we're looking at the clock, we're like, oh, my gosh, this homily is forever. It's seven minutes long. What a big deal, right? Like, but tonight we are going to enter into eternity. We're going to have an opportunity to sit Before our Lord in the blessed sacrament, in this wonderful Catholic traditional devotion called adoration. We're going to adore our Lord, while at the same time, you can confess your sins to the priest. Today at Mass, Father Josh was elevating the sacred host. Did you guys see that? He didn't just go like, here's Jesus. He was like, this is Jesus. And he held it up, not for like, okay, here's two seconds. No, he held it up for like 10, 15 seconds. That moment during Mass is a moment of adoration. And that's exactly who we are going to adore tonight our Lord Jesus Christ, here in the Blessed Sacrament. There's also some options for prayer that we have uh, in store for you. Um, first of all, if you are going to go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, we ask that where those chairs are along the back, we ask that you sit in line for those chairs and only those chairs. We're not going to stand up and like crowd the room and make it, you know, really distracting. We're just going to light we're just going to sit those at those chairs. We also have an opportunity if you have a like a like oh I really want to confess to Father Joe or I really want to confess to Bishop or whatever the case may be. If you have a request for a priest, please talk to Tom. Tom raise your hand. Tom's in the back, he's the tall guy. All right? Talk to Tom. And then we also have in another room in the fireside hall where the ladies met today we're going to have a labyrinth it's a a prayer walk a a contemplative prayer walk we encourage you to spend some time in there and then finally we're going to have some journaling in this room some papers and pens and envelopes if you want to write a letter to yourself write a letter to God write a letter to someone who's hurt you if you want to write a letter to someone you've hurt we have the opportunity for you to do that And last, actually, we have some awesome prayer leaders that are not priests. You can't go to confession to them, okay? They're lay men and women, and they're going to be under these sides, and they're going to just pray over you, right? Praying over you by laying their hands on you, which is an ancient scriptural prayer practice, asking the Holy Spirit to inspire you, to move in you, to guide you. And then Martin will be leading us in worship and prayer and song, And so at this time, I invite you to stand and let us truly enter into this time of eternity.